grace and peace to you. Uh, we're coming to you on this Palm Sunday. Going to give you a scripture we're going to be looking at. Um, you're going to need to follow along, even get it later and even read it if you can. It's Luke uh, chapter 19. It's verses 29 through 40. Going to be handling the triumphal entry. Uh, I'm going to I have three sections. You, you can't have a sermon without three sections, right? So I'm going to I have those together for you, and I'm going to talk to you about the context of that time, and then I'm going to try to take that time and bring it each section into real time and what's going on with us and be able to speak into that. I want, want to go ahead and tell you, you're going to hear the word triumphal and victorious a lot. Uh, and that's with incredible emphasis uh, that our king is, he's triumphed and he is victorious. Uh, you're going to see that a lot and I'm going to continually, continually emphasize and enhance that. Before we get any further, let's pray together, okay? We always do this. Father, um, uh, thank you for the opportunity and the call to preach and the opportunity to preach. And uh, my prayer is that you make me a plain preacher today. So plain that the smallest of children will understand me. And then, Lord, I pray that um, any word of knowledge you give to me to speak to an audience wherever they are, I, I just trust your knowledge, the expanse of your knowledge as to who and is watching and listening or when they are. That you, your Holy Spirit will guide me for those moments. Any word of knowledge you give to me. If you prompt me with it, I want to speak to it. And then, uh, Lord, out of everybody looking, you're going to look at me differently. Everybody watching, uh, because I'm a teacher of your word, I'm under a great judgment, a strict judgment, and I accept my place before you in rightly dividing your word. So in the name of Jesus, I pray his name that I preach. One of the segments that I'm going to give you today is uh, he's worthy of prophecy. Uh, in the triumphal entry, uh, we have the Lord coming into Jerusalem, and there's a lot of prophetic stuff going on here, a whole lot. You really can't dodge it. Uh, there's so much going on, and I want to I walk you through this a little bit. And as you look at these verses, 29 through 35, you're going to be able to see this. And uh, I'm going to confess to you, I forgot my Bible and, but I have it, and I'm using our, ch our church app so uh, to do this. And I, I want to be able to read this to you, 29 through 35. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at a mount that is called Olivet, uh, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into a village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt that is tied, on which no one has ever sat. So it's an unbroken colt. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Uh, you will say this because the Lord has need of it. So, um, so those were sent away and found it as Jesus had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Basically, why are you taking my car? Because that's really what that was. And they said, the, the Lord has need of it. And then their answer is they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the coat. They set Jesus on it. Uh, I want to speak to that for just a moment with you, um, how this is prophetic. And uh, Logan will be able to put this on the screen for you, but it's Zechariah 9.9. 9. 
And there's a prophecy in there about how the king is going to enter Jerusalem and he's going to enter Jerusalem on a coal. Uh, really what's happening here is a fulfillment of prophecy of how the king is going to enter into Jerusalem. I, I want you to notice two things. Uh, when you get into Zechariah 9.9, I want you to notice that there's the word triumphal and there's the word victorious. Uh, listen, uh, we're going through a lot. And I want to emphasize those two words a lot. Our king, King Jesus, is triumphal and he's victorious. I, I knew when I surrendered my life to Christ that I, I was surrendering to the most victorious person that has ever lived. And you have too. And I, I want to bring you some hope with that. I want to settle some unrest with you when it comes to that. So I want you to see that in Zechariah 9, 9, how he's triumphal and he is victorious. Jesus told the disciples to go on into and, and find this person. And I don't know if he gave him a street address. I, I try to live in real time, practical time. Uh, I don't know if he went, go down here and take a left. I don't know how he gave them his, their orders, but they did. And I don't know if Jesus already knew the person that had the coat or if he was just Jesus being Jesus. And when I, when I say that, I'm talking about uh, not just the natural Jesus, but the supernatural Jesus. I really have no idea. I like to think of it in those two terms. Uh, I have, it really is settling for me to, he could have known them and he gave them specific directions or he's just Jesus being Jesus. Uh, and I sometimes settle with he's just Jesus being Jesus. But he, he, he says, they're going to ask you questions. Now, please put it in real time. And real time is that this is a car. I know it's a colt, but to us, it would be a car. And uh, it's transportation. It's a way to carry goods or even an individual. And uh, they go, and he says, tell them the Lord needs it. Uh, and we know that they see him untying the colt. And they ask, what are you doing? And they respond, the Lord needs it. It, that, that gives a question. The question it gives, will we do this? And you're going, will we do what? Well, are we going to freely give what the Lord demands of us? You and I are going, well, that's a colt. Well, it, in our day and time, it would be a car. Uh, here's, here's what I want to tell you. Not only will we do this, but have we done this? And then the question is, are you doing this? Let me tell you what some of our problems have been in our past. And I'm talking about me and you, our problems. We have so focused on God giving to us that we have become unfocused on him asking and taking from us. We can really give an invitation, come follow a God who gives, and he does. I've told you many times as my personal congregation, when we give, we most resemble our heavenly father. When we give, we're we are looking just like him. Every good and perfect gift has come from the father. It's come from the father of lights. Uh, he's done that to us. But have we got so focused that we're used to getting that we don't realize that the Lord does ask. And he was asking of these people to give up a colt. Now, we, we don't know if it's returned to them after it's over with, if they're just lending it, if they give it away to somebody else. We don't, we don't know the rest of the story. 
But the truth of it is, it's a valid question to ask. Have we become so focused on God giving to us that we don't realize that there is a God that demands from us? I really believe that we're going to get into a time where we focus on a God asking of us. And that can be a whole different place for us because we can be selfish and focus on God giving to us. I, I just have to let you process those questions. Uh, will we do this? Have you done this? And are you willing to do this if the Lord needs it? If the Lord needs it, are you willing to do this? We, we are uncovering here the procession of a king. And we're going to get into that to just a moment. He's not, he's not going to be king. He's already king. The use of a colt coming into Jerusalem, Zechariah 9.9. Uh, the use of a crowd kind of making it look like a, a highway with uh, borders. Uh, the shouts from the crowd, the cloak that they lay down, the palms and other gospels that they use, all has the picture of a king coming to town. Um, and it becomes a prophetic look in Zechariah 9.9 9 is something you can look at for that. But the title of this section is He's Worthy of Prophecy. And there's other prophecy about him. And I'm, I'm going to bring it up and I'm going to move it toward crucifixion, which is going to happen on Friday of this coming Holy Week. And uh, there's a prophecy that his, uh, his bones would not be broken. They would not be broken. Uh, it's in Psalm 34, 20. Now, if you, if you read this, you're going to think, oh, man, this is weird that uh, Psalm 34, 20 is talking about you know, bones not being broken. But if you read the context of chapter 34, you're going to see that they talk about the face of God. They're talking about the eyes of God. And even a point where you cry out, the ears of God are listening to you. And then it drops down into bones. That even his bones, it, it's, it's giving some human features to God who comes in the person of Jesus. But we realize that there's face, eyes, and ears, and hearing going on. And then it drops down, bones will not be broken. It, it can seem pretty strange, but it is a prophecy and uh, the, uh, the John, the gospel writer, uh, brings this to truth in the crucifixion of Jesus. John 19 is the passage. It's verses 33 through 37. I'm going to read it to you. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, he's on the cross, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water, uh, a sign of his dying. Uh, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may also believe. For these things took place. We're talking about the piercing and, and the side. We're talking about his legs not being broken. For these things, this is verse 36 in, in, chapter, in John 19. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Verse 37. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Um, John, uh, I, I love the writings of John. Uh, we have John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, book of Revelation. And I love his point in that. Why, why, why the deal of the cult? 
coming in to Jerusalem. Why, why the prophecy? Because he's worthy of prophecy. And we've got to understand that prophecy about him is coming true. So we've, we're taking this segment of the entry into Jerusalem, and now I want to bring it into real time for you. What is the challenge in real time with just this area? I want you to know that the prophecies of Jesus, about Jesus, have either come true or they will come true. I don't care if it's about his bones not being broken. I don't care if it's about him riding into Jerusalem on a colt. Uh, it doesn't matter. Any prophecy about Jesus has either come true or it will come true. And then you ask the question now, as we take this section worthy of prophecy and bring it into real time, you ask the question now, hey, hey Jeff, you may ask any other preacher, you may have researched it, listened, videoed it, whatever, YouTubed it. Uh, what about now? Is, there, is prophecy have, happening now? Is that going on in real time? Let me give you an answer to that. You be ready. You be ready. And I mean that in every sense of the word. You be ready. Uh, I, I'm telling you that I, I should have been saying for you to be ready before the virus came. You've got to be ready. Who in our mind, now we, we know the truth now, but before this actually happened, who in our right mind would say that over 150 countries could be influenced by a virus that you can't see without a microscope and would shut down everything we know? You and I, if we'd have been talking about this, and, and some were, I don't know really what date to give you, but in our mind, we're, we're here and there, we're doing this and that, we think we're in control. And uh, all of a sudden, what has blown our minds is that something like this, so little and almost invis invisible, has absolutely changed the world. Literally. Uh, we wouldn't have thought that a few months ago. But the question is, uh, prophecy today? Yeah, it could be. Absolutely. But really, what becomes my task is tell you to be ready, even before the virus. Be ready. Because one day, if the prophecy of a colt is true, him riding in Jerusalem on a colt, if prophecy is about his legs are not going to be broken, where the other two around him were, um, then I'm going to tell you the promise of his coming back is a surety. It's absolutely going to happen. Because no matter what prophecy it is, how big or little or insignificant or significant you think it is, if there's prophecy about Jesus, it's either come true or it absolutely is coming true. I want to remind you that our today and tomorrow is going to look differently. These are life-changing events, and they are going to be life-changing events for generations. Guys, let me just bring it down to you in real time. This is not a school break, and we've not had an ice storm or a snowstorm. It's not it. You can be excited about home, uh, and you probably aren't right now. I get it. But my point is, we in real time are in life-changing events, not for a summer, not for a fall, not for the year of 2020. There are life-changing events that are going to affect generations. So here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that that, that king...
that rode in to that town, Jerusalem, on a colt is King Jesus. And I want to remind you that Zechariah, long time ago, said he is triumphal and he is victorious. I want to remind you of that. Uh, if, if you're a believer, you better rejoice. If you're not a believer, hey, today's the day. Today's the day for you to surrender your life to this king. Why? There is nobody who has triumphed more and nobody who is more victorious. I don't know about you, but a long time ago, I wasn't in a crisis. I was in a spiritual and emotional crisis. But a long time ago, I knew I needed to surrender my life to Christ, and I did. Never regret it. And please know today, he is triumphal and he is victorious. I know you know that. I just want to remind you of that. Our second part of the sermon is he is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. We're going to be looking at Luke 19, uh, verses 36 and through 38. It says, And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And other gospels, they did the palms. The palms are behind me on the edge of the stage. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. I got to tell you, I've always laughed at that because I was raised Baptist. You know what I'm saying? And loud voice and Baptist don't always go together. It's usually Baptists and being quiet go together. So I just got to just tell you, from my culture and my upbringing and my tribe, I've always laughed at this a little bit. Uh, Begin to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Uh, I know uh, they are shouting to their king and they're going out there to do uh, and shout and give him praise because of what they have seen him do. Uh, Most of you know where we're taping this. We're in the altar of our sanctuary. Um, Outside of us to my left is 127 and it's a four lane highway. If I know of the Lord coming down, I'm headed, I'm going to leave you and I'm going to head out there. And I'm going to be on the side of the road. And I'm not just going to think. I'm going to shout. You know why I'm going to shout? Because I've seen what he has done. I've seen him take some of your lives that are watching and absolutely give you a 180. I've seen some of you, the Lord has brought you from some tumultuous times. And he still is. I'm not only going to go out there and shout for what he's done in my life. I'm going to go on the side of the road and I'm going to shout for what I've seen him do in your life. As a pastor of 34 years, what I've seen him do in the lives of people, how he has carried them through peace into a time of absolute chaos, love in the middle, being surrounded by hate. It just goes on and on. I'm going to be out there shouting with that. Matthew, Mark, and John use the word Hosanna. Luke doesn't, but Matthew, Mark, and John do. And Hosanna means rescue us. They are crying out uh, rescue. And you're going, well, why'd you use Luke? I'm going to show you why I use Luke in just a moment. I chose Luke over the other three, and I'm going to tell you why in a little bit. But 
Hosanna is what they're shouting out, and Hosanna is a phrase that means rescue us. It means save us. Um, and Luke doesn't use the word Hosanna. And there's some belief that Luke doesn't use the word Hosanna because Luke is already believing that he is the rescuer. Not that he can be, but that he already is. Uh, I, uh, I want you to, to give the challenge to you in real time with this segment worthy of our praise. Uh, we have a king, hallelujah. Again, what's the two words? He's triumphal, he's victorious. He's victorious. Should you and I be crying out to him right now, uh, asking him to rescue us? And here's my question. You mean you haven't already? Absolutely, you should be doing that. Yeah, we need to ask him to rescue us in every form, physically and emotionally and spiritually. And you're, you're going to see the emotional stress of all this start affecting people. And join me in praying this very prayer as you pray together, as you have your quiet times and your prayer times, pray and ask the Father to draw people to him. Because unless the Father draws you, you're not drawn. So ask the Father to draw, absolutely draw people to him. So here, here is the challenge. The challenge here in real time, learning about he's worthy of our praise, is the challenge is, don't you be saying, rescue me, so you can go back to what you were. Some of you are going to say, hey, Lord, rescue me and give me what I had before this crisis. I'm saying no. Don't you pray that prayer. I'm not wanting you to go back to the way you were. Please, please don't. Rescue me, Lord, is something we should cry. I, I cried out. But I've, I, used, I cried out way before the virus came. Uh, I, my whole life has been sections of my life and seasons of my life where I'm going, God, I need your rescue, but it's never to be what I was. Never. It is to be what he has absolutely called me to be. So rescue me is a cry that you and I have, just like these people, of to the Lord, to the king who can rescue them and save them. But it is for his purpose. It's for who he desires me to be. The third part of today's sermon, and the last one, is he is worthy of our personal worship. That's Luke 19, and that's verses 39 and 40. Let me read it to you. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, because people are shouting, um, people are, are crying out because of what they've seen the Lord do. Uh, he says, teacher, rebuke your disciples. So the Pharisees are having a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus answered in verse 40 and said, I tell you, if these were silent, meaning us, the people, the very stones would cry out. The conversation is going on between the Pharisees and Jesus. And listen, I know the Pharisees are legalistic. I know they, uh, they're the rule keepers and, and they really want you to keep the rules more than they want to keep the rules. And, uh, but not all Pharisees are bad, okay? Some Pharisees came to faith in Christ. So don't go having all the Pharisees in one pot. There are some who came to know the Lord. And they're asking him to rebuke. 
the word rebuke is a Greek word called epitomao, learned it a long time ago. It has a picture to it, and the picture of it is to stop. It could be a picture of uh, when you were a little kid and your parents just smacked you on the hands. But just don't, you know, you're reaching for something you don't need to reach for, and it's just a little rap on the knuckles of just getting you to stop. That little rap's not going to hurt you. It might hurt your feelings, but it's not going to hurt you. But it, it, the intent of a rebuke is to stop something or someone. So the Pharisees are coming, and they, they go, Teacher, epitomio, your disciples. Stop them. Uh, tell them to quit doing that. And Jesus' response is so beautiful. It is so wonderful. He says, if they, pointing to me and you, if they don't cry out to me, if they are silent, he said, then these very rocks are going to cry out. Okay, I'm going to be Professor Jeff for a moment, and I'm going to talk to all you parents who have children. This is a great time to have an English lesson and teach them what hyperbole is. Hyperbole is the word for exaggeration. In other words, I can tell you a fishing story, and uh, every time I tell it, uh, the, the bass gets bigger. Uh, it gets so big that I, I've got to find help to put it in the boat. You know, you know what I'm talking about. So the truth is I may have landed a bass, but by the time I've told it 20 times, it's, this, it's as big as a car. You know, uh, That's hyperbole. That's exaggeration. Uh, in... Uh, I want to I tell you, I don't believe that the Lord is using hyperbole here. I don't believe he's using exaggeration, saying that uh, if you and I don't cry out to him, then the rocks will, and he's just exaggerating. I just don't believe it. And let me tell you why I don't believe it. Everything is made by him and for him. I'm going to give you a blessing at the end of this, and this is going to be in it, so I'm already tipping you off. Everything was made by him and for him. Creation, he spoke it into existence. Jesus didn't show up at Bethlehem in a, in a manger. Jesus existed. He is the word. He's in the beginning. Uh, all things are created by him. He doesn't just show up haphazardly right in the middle of all the story. He's always been there and he spoke it into existence, into creation. So I, I want to build that for you for a moment. I really, I really want you to know, you may think this has nothing to do with what we're going through or even a triumphal entry into Jerusalem and Holy Week. It has everything to do with me. And uh, when I read this, it just settles me. And here's what I mean. I want, to, I want you to pay attention in your own personal study that creation was spoken into existence by him. I want you to remind you that creation was at his birth. I want you to know that creation marked the spot. It became the guide. It became the guide for those who needed to come visit to visit. I want to remind you of that, that creation was there at his birth. I want to remind you that creation responded to him in his life. I, I want you to know that the forces of nature succumbed to him. Uh, wind, waves, water, water. You know what I'm talking about, right? He walked on it. 
Uh, it, it trees, even the dead, fevers. If we could go on and on. I just want you to know that creation uh, responded to him in his days of living. I also want you to know that creation responded to his death. When he died, earthquake. Temple veil split. Matthew records resurrection from the dead before his own resurrection. And they, they came out of the graves and walked back into the city and revealed themselves. Uh, that creation not only responded to his death, it responds to his resurrection. Um, and the earthquake that came, uh, even back to the, the cross and his death, the darkness that came, uh, I, I just want to tell you that I don't think he's using hyperbole or exaggeration here. I think he really meant that if you and I do not give him praise, which he's worthy of our praise, I want you to know that I don't think he's exaggerating when he says that rock is going to crowd. You and I know a lot of us, some of you are, are new to faith or even searching for faith. For those of us who've been in faith, we know an old song. The grammar's horrible, but it says, ain't Ain't no rock going to cry in my place. I don't think he's exaggerating. I think he really meant the truth. In fact, during his death, it said rocks even split. Rocks even split at the death of who he is. The forces of nature respond to him. And scripture says even his creation is groaning for his return. Uh, before we started this uh, today, and the, the only audience I have outside the Holy Spirit is Logan and, and you, uh, but I'm talking about in real time is Logan. And uh, Logan led us in a prayer together, and I, pray, I played the song by Andrew Peterson, Is, is He Worthy? And it's with a choir. And he, he comes, he says, there's a new creation coming. He talks about how creation in that song responds to the Lord. And there's a new creation that's coming. Uh, I... This can be open to debate, and this is maybe where you shut me off, but uh, creation may have asked more for his return than you and I have. I'm not only asking the Lord to rescue me, I'm asking for him to come back. I'm asking for him to come back. I don't, I don't want to, I want to be transparent with you. Um, it's, uh, it's a crucial time. It's going to change. And here, here's, the, here's the, what I think Andrew Peterson was saying in that song and what the writer of the song even meant is a new creation is coming. Hey, guys, we messed up Eden. You hear me? He took it away. And one day he's going to return it to us. There's a new creation that is coming. So I don't believe he used hyperbole when he said, if you and I don't give him praise then that rock will. I don't think it's an exaggeration. I think it's a real statement. And with this, he's worthy of our personal worship. And I want to encourage you during this time of designing and putting together and setting aside your own personal worship. So what is the challenge of this section? Worthy of personal worship. What's the challenge? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If he has bought you back, then tell it. Sing it, shout it. I wrote some questions because I'm trying to learn to ask good questions. Have we become so consumed with ourselves and our power and our abilities that, they, that we are missing what God has sent us already? 
Have we become so powerful, so able to go and to do? You and I are so used to going and doing whenever we wanted to that that going and doing is literally being shut down around us. I'm not complaining, but it's just a reality. Are, are we so consumed with ourselves and our power and our abilities that uh, we not only miss what he sent us, but what he is sending us? Or I go back to the cult. The Lord needs it. Or even what he wants us to do with our stuff. Have we become so consumed with that? You know, our biggest issue right now is the terrible sickness that's over the world and seemingly reoccurring. But our inward struggle is the lack of control that we have. I'm just going to tell you, we're not in charge anymore. But then you're going to respond, we never were. But the truth of it is, we thought we were. I, uh, I want to remind you that there is a battle that goes on, on us living independent of God. And even, even with uh, the fact of God rescue us is a cry to help us when God has always wanted us to be dependent on him. He's never wanted us to look at scripture historically and go, man, those people were faithful. He wants us to look at us in real time and go, those people are faithful. So the battle of faithfulness is really this. Have you and I designed our life to be independent of him or to be dependent on him? I'm just going to tell you, if he comes down 127 on the four-lane highway, I'm going to outrun Logan to get there. Logan's quick. I'm not. I'm going to beat him there. And I'm going to shout like a bad Baptist. I'm going to shout to my, as loud as I can because of all the things that I've seen him on. And, and you can do what you want to with why the virus is here, the permissive will of God, whatever you want to do with that. But the truth of it is, I think he's crying for us to be dependent on him once again. So my task during this time with you as your pastor and a preacher, even if I'm not technically your pastor, is my task is to remain faithful and then to remind you to remain faithful. And then Micah 6, 8, love faithfulness. Love being faithful people during this time. If, you've, if, you, if you're here searching uh, surrender your life to Christ today. Let him save you, Hosanna. Let him rescue you, save you, make you a brand new creation. And then as you surrender to him, step, step into faith with us. I, I want to know that when he comes again, he's known as the one who is faithful and true. And when you and I stand before him, he's not going to say, well done, good servant. Go ahead and tell me what he's going to say. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, I'm going to remain faithful because of this king that moved into Jerusalem. Because of this king who left heaven and came to a sin-sick world for me and you, worked his way, journeyed and missioned his way to the cross, preaching the kingdom, did everything he did for us on the cross, penalty, pain, wrath of God. He's triumphal. He's victorious. Even death in the grave cannot hold him. And I want you to know today that the one who is faithful and true is the one I'm surrendering to even today. And when he sees me and when he sees you, whenever he does, it is well done, good, and faithful. 
Be faithful. Love faithfulness. Be faithful to him during every bit of this crisis, whatever it brings to us. Grace and peace to you.